0: Hey, everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Hey, friends, I'm excited to bring you this thoughtful, lovely conversation with short fiction writer Ken Weatherington. You'll hear Ken talk about themes in his writing, how he comes up with his ideas his writing process, the value of a writing group, and more, including Ken reading two excerpts of his own work. Please see the links in the show notes for more information about Ken. In the show notes, you'll also see an important link to our Indiegogo campaign to support the creation of original scripted audio fiction. Please contribute if you are able. Ken Wetherington lives in Durham, North Carolina with his wife and two dogs. His stories have appeared in Genosco Literary Journal, The Fable Online, Borrowed, Solace, The Remington Review, and others. His first collection, Santa, Abella and Other Stories, was awarded the BRAG Medallion from the Book Readers Appreciation Group in the Literary Fiction category. When not writing, he is an avid film buff and has taught film courses for the OLLI program at Duke University. Check out his website, kenweatherington.com, and on Twitter, at Ken Weatherington, K-E-N-W-E-T-H-E-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Ken. Thank you so much for making some time to talk with me today.
1: Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Why don't we start with a reading of your choice?
1: That sounds good. I will read a short excerpt from my uh, story, The Revivalist, which is one of the stories that appears in my my book. It's written in in first person from the point of view of a woman in her mid-60s, so you have to imagine that, uh, that kind of voice as I read. The Revivalist. I spent a wakeful night in an armchair by the bed, listening to Edgar's labored breathing. Shortly before dawn, a gurgle issued forth from deep in his throat, and then silence only 64, too young. I murmured a hasty prayer over my husband's body. Time was precious. I woke Rebecca, who slept on the living room sofa. She knew, without a word, the moment had come. She gathered her materials, disappeared into the bedroom, and closed the door. Rebecca had arrived a couple of days earlier, less than 24 hours after I called. Her youth surprised me. Eighteen, she said, though she didn't look it. Her reserved manner and drab gray dress shrouded her with the austere gravity of an Amish child. She made herself useful cooking, cleaning, and doing laundry. I hadn't expected her to take on the duties of a maid. I lay on the sofa trying to rest, knowing the journey ahead would be long. Unfamiliar scents wafted in from the bedroom. I tried not to think about it. The deal had been done. No going back. I put my faith in Rebecca. Despite my weariness, sleep eluded me. Edgar's spirit still filled the house. I could almost see him sitting in his easy chair, radiating his calm, reassuring presence. But he wasn't there. I resisted the urge to go into the bedroom and gaze upon his familiar features. Interrupting Rebecca would not be wise. I lapsed into recollections of the first time I saw Edgar and our first kiss so many decades ago. If only I could turn the clock back and relive those days. He would want me to be practical, set aside the memory, and keep my mind on the task at hand. Reluctantly, I rose, shuffled into the kitchen, and gazed out the window. The sun had risen, its rays lightly brushing the fresh green leaves of the pear tree. Spring promised to be glorious but Edgar was dead. So that's the opening uh, section of uh, my story,
0: The Revivalist. Thank you so much for reading that. I would like to talk with you about your process and where you get your ideas. But I think first, let's talk about, I'm going to call it your origin story as a writer and how you came to be the writer that you are today.
1: I've dabbled in writing all my life, but I got serious about it about two decades ago. When I first got serious, I tackled writing from the aspect of writing about some theme of social injustice or tackling some weighty, weighty issue. But as I looked at those stories, they felt so heavy handed. I didn't really want to read them. And so I couldn't expect other people to want to read them. So I backed off of that and just tried to tell a story, just focused on plot and story. And to my surprise, Some of the themes that I'd been trying to address earlier came through in a more organic way. And uh, I felt much better. I liked the stories better. So I have pursued that method um, throughout to just focusing on plot and story and letting uh, whatever meaning that could be derived from it come through. My earliest stories dealt with figures who were lonely, solitary figures who were struggling with jobs, relationships. And those sort of things that all of us have probably struggled with at one time or another. More recently, I have um, come to uh, write about nature of celebrity and the attraction of celebrity, the superficial nature of that. The uh, filmmaker Luis Bunuel once said that fame is a type of misunderstanding, and I've, uh, I've taken that to heart in my writing. And we see how, in my writing, you'll see how celebrities, whether whether it be a movie star or a famous writer or politician, we see how the image that is presented to us through the uh, media that's so pervasive in our society doesn't really show us the real person. I think we all know that, but the media is so powerful that it's easy to uh, begin to accept the image rather than look for the uh, true person who is underneath.
0: right. Right. You're talking broadly about the themes in your writing, but I'm curious about how you find specific stories or characters. How do those come to you, and how do you approach making a story?
1: That's the question I get asked most often, and it's also the question I, I dread the most.
0: <laughs> I'm so glad I can be here to offer that up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to explain. Explain in most cases. Most of my ideas come out of the blue. Uh, I don't know where they come from. And, and most of the time, it's a, a line of dialogue, sometimes a, a brief image or a brief scene. But most time, it's simply a line of dialogue that runs through my mind. I think I've been having these ideas all my life. But once I started writing, I began to recognize them for what they were, I recognize them uh, as story idea. I've been thinking that for some time, and recently I saw on YouTube the science fiction writer Neil Gaiman say essentially the same thing, and, and so to hear a famous writer confirmed something that I'd been thinking uh, for a long time uh, felt justified. <laughs> but there are some cases where I, I can tell you specifically where ideas come from. Let me give you a couple of examples. About a year ago, I was listening to a some music, some Bob Dylan tunes, and the song Tangled Up in Blue came on, which is a song I've heard many times. But on this particular occasion, a couple of lines caught my attention, and the lines went, there was music in the cafes at night and revolution in the air. The image of that scene just leaped into my mind, and I started putting characters into that scene. And a story evolved from that the story is An Elegy for Esmeralda, which was, um, which was printed in the um, Genesco Literary Journal this past spring. So in that case, I can tell you exactly where the inspiration came. And I'll give one more example. I was in a writing group, and we were tasked with a writing prompt, something that we see while driving. Having grown up in the uh, American South and lived here all my life, the first image that came to my mind was a dead opossum on the road. I've seen many of those. So I uh, read a story uh, about the opossums from in first person from the opossums' point of view. And They are fed up with being run over. and The story is called The, the Marsupial Rebellion. That is available um, through my website. It was printed in a magazine called Founders' Favorites, Canadian magazine, actually. So there's a couple examples where uh, I can tell you specifically where ideas come from, but that's not the rule. Um, most of the time, it's just out of the blue. I have no idea where they come from or, or when they're coming.
0: I love that you shared some examples. Thank you. And that also, there isn't always a specific way that these ideas enter. I mean, I think, I don't know, I sort of try to make myself as a writer open to catching whatever Crosses my mind, so I try to think about my own brain as like a giant net. And if anything comes through, I try to catch it, and then I'm grateful for whatever I catch, you know. And some, I guess, it's more like fishing, right? Because at first I was thinking about it as a butterfly net, but I think it's actually for me more like a fishing pole. And I try to bait the hook, throw it out there, and sometimes I keep the fish, and sometimes I throw it back depending on the size of it and if I can do something with it. So ideas can come in all sorts of ways to us, I think.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, I end up throwing back probably more fish than I keep.
0: Right, exactly. Well, I think, you know, I wonder if that's part of the deal of becoming a writer over time is sort of realizing that, you know, you don't have to keep all the torture, this metaphor a little bit. We don't have to keep all the fish, right? Because there are more fish and keep the ones that won't really like feed the process, It's it doesn't make sense. And so I'm a lot more willing to throw things out and throw things away than I used to be. So practically speaking, okay, so you have this idea. Do you make an outline? Do you make notes? Do you sit down and write from beginning to end? Like how do you actually put it on the page?
1: It all starts with mornings and coffee.
0: <laughs> right.
1: But when I sit down to to start, I will have an idea in my head already and I will um actually write with a pen and paper a loose summary and about a, it usually ends up being a very brief but a summary and about a half a page and it's a lot of partial sentences abbreviations but I keep it loose I want to allow my story to go where it wants to and sometimes the finished product is a lot like the summary I wrote sometimes it's not so much like the summary I wrote I want the characters to find their own way through the story. I want to let them be true to themselves. I would like readers to think my characters exist before the story begins and they continue to exist after the story ends. A lot of my endings are open-ended, allowing the reader to continue thinking about the characters and what they're going to do. Some are more uh, conclusive than others. I don't want to have the same kind of endings for all my stories, so, so I want to keep surprising my readers. So some endings can, can be hopeful, some can be a little more downbeat, but many are open-ended.
0: Do you have a set routine, or is it? Are you flexible about the way that you sit down to write?
1: I usually just—it's usually you know a couple of hours in the morning, and if I write, if I get through a scene, I consider that a victory. Sometimes. I can get through two scenes in a, one setting, uh, but I seldom write more than that, that, setting. You know, in this couple hours, sometimes you, you get tangled up with uh, how to proceed with the next the transition from one scene to another. Sometimes a story will compel me to sit down and, and back to it. I'll write in the morning and I'll come back to it in the afternoon and evening in the um The story that was based on the Dylan's started with Dylan's song, uh, An Elegy for Esmeralda. I, uh, that really grabbed me. I I wrote in the morning, afternoon, and evening, and and wrote that rather quickly. Uh, But that's that's unusual. Most times, I write a scene or two in the morning, and then the next morning, try to get another scene or two in.
0: You mentioned sometimes getting tangled up, which I think is something that we all can identify with. What do you do? when that happens to kind of find your way through or back to it?
1: There are various answers to that. Sometimes I hunker down and and, and just work it out right there at the computer while I'm having the trouble. Sometimes I just need to step away from it. There are other times I have a table behind me. Sometimes I have a uh, jigsaw puzzle going Mm -hmm. or a crossword puzzle going, something mentally stimulating that is not my story. And that can sometimes, when I turn back to the story, I'm, I feel refreshed and uh, I can continue.
0: Mm-hmm. I have read short stories that you have written. So I think of you as a, as a short story writer. I know that you're also very passionate about film. I'm curious about how you kind of settled on the short story format and why that works for you as a writer.
1: The short story format, I think, is a, a practical uh, thing for me. At my age, I'm I'm 68. If I sit down and spend uh, four to six weeks writing a short story, and it turns out to be not so hot, I've usually learned something from it, and mm. I don't really consider that uh, wasted time necessarily. But if I spent two years writing a novel, and that didn't turn out so well, <laughs> I think I would feel bad about spending that much time on it. As far as the film uh, aspect, I do think cinematically when I'm writing, and I don't know if that comes across to readers or not. I uh, I did enter a couple of my stories in a uh, competition for the uh, for ScreenCraft. It's a magazine website that uh, people generally submit uh, scripts to. In the fall, they have a competition where they um, allow people to send prose material, and, and they evaluate that. Couple, and a couple of years ago, I had two stories that made the quarterfinals on that. One of them was the revivalist, which I read the section from uh, at the beginning of our talk.
0: Part of the conversation that you and I have had kind of off mic is that it's important to put our work out in front of people and to be able to talk about the stories that we make. How has that experience been for you coming out from behind the stories and and representing your work in person? It's been
1: fun. I uh, was uh, nervous the first time I I read in public, but uh, I've done it a half a dozen times now, all in the uh, pre-COVID era. Hope to be able to uh, get back to doing that. And if if I can in the future, I would like to uh, expand the venues in which I have read. Previously, I've, they've all been read on the Duke University campus where I have enough connections that I can get a space and time to do that. But I would uh, maybe like to get out to some local bookstores that have readings and and that sort of thing. Of course, we got to get the pandemic under control before uh, any of that can happen. So just uh, wait and see. I like the uh, feedback I get from audiences. My audiences seem to enjoy the reading. A lot of work goes into writing, and and feel like uh, to do the stories justice, I need to promote them some. and Promoting it doesn't come naturally to me. I have a mailing list. I put stuff on Facebook and Twitter. I have an Instagram account, which I mostly ignore, <laughs> but it doesn't come naturally to me.
0: The fact that it doesn't come naturally to you, but you still do it. Can you attribute that to being organized or planning ahead? How how do you kind of overcome that obstacle? Because I see that a lot, especially in writers who my experience has, has been that most writers are more introverted. And so it doesn't come natural to a lot of people, myself included. So how do you overcome that?
1: Well, it was a process. I've always wanted to have activity to stimulate me outside of work and home and that sort of thing. To go back a little ways, for 30 years, I, I played um, in softball leagues, uh, local softball leagues in Durham and Orange Counties. And uh, I was on a softball team that won a state championship back in the 70s. As my softball career was dying down, getting too old and too slow, some of my friends urged me to start Teaching a film class for the OLLI program at Duke University. It's part of the, it's not an academic course. It's with the continuing education. So that was the first time I was started to really get in front of a group. So I have a class of about 25 people and I begin to get more and more comfortable with being in front of people. When I started reading stories in public, that's that's a different level of comfort you have to achieve to read your own work. But I think the teaching the film course helped me transition into being able to read my uh, things that felt more personal, my stories. So I still had to push myself to do it. But like I say, I've done probably a half a dozen or so readings and uh, I'm getting more comfortable with it. Um, been doing it in venues that I'm familiar with. So if I extend that to local bookstores like I would like to do, that would be a different venue. It'd be a a different level of comfort that I would have to uh, get used to.
0: So you have been writing for a while now, and I'm curious about what has gotten easier for you over time?
1: Well, grammar. I'm <laughs> 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 in mean, a great writing group. is Unlike most writing groups, we read in advance. It's not a situation where you go and you spend five or ten minutes reading the excerpt and you get quick feedback from the other attendees we read in advance. So, and we, we post our stories on um, Google docs. We have comments that everybody has made. So when we meet, you know, we can deal with big plot issues. We can deal with where the comma goes and the whole nine yards of it. So it's been really great to uh, be in a group where you can uh, get down to that level of detail and, and, and you get your, some of the grammar cleaned up that, uh, where I've <laughs> I've forgotten over the years and uh, having to relearn.
0: How long have you been with this particular group?
1: Since 2013.
0: Oh wow! And it's still the same group of people. Very somewhat.
1: It's led by a, um, a person who is a um, he's a librarian at one of our public library uh, branches. He leads. he has been there the whole time. The uh, group has evolved. Some people come and go. The current group, uh, and it's a small group. It's only six six of us. It's been pretty stable here for a couple of years. We, we've all struggled with it um, during the uh, age of COVID We're meeting over Zoom or Google Meet or Zoom or whatever, whatever's working at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. But uh,
1: everyone's been really impressed with how dedicated everyone is to keep it going and to uh, deal with whatever technology that we can get to uh, make it happen. It's a great group and they're very diverse. They're all writing very different things from, you know, social issues nonfiction to epic fantasy so you have a variety of points of view coming in to read your story
0: i think writing groups are fantastic and can really make a huge difference in the not only the quality of our work as writers but also the quality of our life as writers <laughs> can be very solitary so it's nice to have a group of people to connect with in a community
1: oh yeah i would i've I never gotten anything published if not for that group in the beginning, I had no intentions of publishing. I was just writing for my own, it's just to keep my mind active. But people pushed me to start submitting and I was surprised when the first story got accepted back in 2017. And I've now, I think I 15 or 16 published stories and each one, each time something's accepted, it's a surprise to me. So I'm always grateful for these, uh, small press publications. They're all, none of them are in print anymore. They're all online, but uh, and most of them are run by a handful of people who are just dedicated to uh, getting stories out there and making the best magazine they can. And uh, I don't think they make any money on it for most of them. And uh, it's just a labor of love. And I'm really grateful for their efforts because I put the stories up on my website. My friends would read them, but if you can get something accepted by another publication is more of a confirmation that yeah this story is good enough and and if it's in some publication you know hopefully other people beyond my acquaintances are reading it and it's getting out there a little more. I had some stories that I felt were worthwhile that I had trouble placing for various reasons sometimes because of their length and that's what drove me to publish my book to um, get some of the stories out there that. We're having trouble getting published, but I felt were very worthwhile. So I published my book a little over a year ago, and it contains seven previously published stories and, and seven stories that had not been published. So I hope at some point to have enough material, enough good material <laughs> to uh, publish another book. I've written about 60 stories now, but uh, some of them are good and some of them are not so hot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's always the way. <laughs> oh yeah! Well, congratulations yeah. on the publication of your book. I think that's quite an accomplishment, and it must be very gratifying to be able to oh, hold yeah. that in your hand.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm a, I'm not a, a Kindle reader. I like to have the physical copy in my hand, and I think I was very lucky to find someone who made a great cover for it. And not, not that you should judge a book by its cover, but but I think it helps.
0: mm mm-hmm. Before we close. I wanted to check in with you to see if there's anything else that you'd like to talk about.
1: So from this point, plans are pretty simple. Keep writing. Keep, keep submitting things for publication. Hopefully, post-pandemic world, I can get back to have some face-to-face with readers, perhaps get us another enough material together for another book. So that's pretty simple. Just more or less keep doing what I've been doing and hope for the best. So, yeah, I think uh, I would like to close uh, with a reading. As I mentioned earlier, the analogy for Esmeralda was inspired by those lines from the Bob Dylan tune. So, I'll read the uh, first few paragraphs of this. Uh, it's a story that deals with the uh, superficial attraction of uh, physical beauty. It's a theme that I write about fairly often these days, it usually involves celebrities. In this case, it does not. But uh, I will read the. Uh, first uh, few paragraphs of that. An Elegy for Esmeralda. She had the kind of beauty that made men stupid. Before the revolution, I saw her often in smoky cafes and dives, always in the company of a poet or singer. One by one, bards offered adoration and romantic odes without restraint or embarrassment only to find in time her affection deserting each of them for another of their peers. Deep, despairing laments followed, proclaiming the loss of innocence, sometimes hers, sometimes theirs. Her white blouses, flowing multicolored skirts and dark eyes, gave her a Roma vibe, though her ethnicity was uncertain. Whatever her origin, all men hoped to be the next object of her affection for as long as she chose. I first noticed her one evening at the Jack of Diamonds as she sat with Luther Delray at a table near the stage where Manu Berman strummed his guitar and sang lyrically of protest and rebellion. I leaned over the bar and motioned to Sullivan. What's her name? The burly bartender bent forward with a groan. She'll break your heart, kid. Stay away from her. Later, I discovered Sullivan harbored desires for her too. Perhaps I should have guessed. Come on, man. Who is she? He gave a sigh and a shrug. She goes by Esmeralda. Don't say I didn't warn you. Is she a prostitute? Don't be crude, kid. With that, he turned away. I barely heard Manu's vocals or the clink of glasses or the drunken chatter around me as the evening slipped by. I watched as she laughed and traced the contours of Luther's ear with long, delicate fingers. After midnight, he called it an evening departing arm in arm. So that's the uh, opening paragraph. This is the scene that leapt into my mind when I heard that there's lines from the Bob Dylan tune.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your work and thank you for the conversation today. I can't wait to read what you write next and to see where your work gets published. Thank you so much, Ken.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Do you like listening? If so, then support our scripted audio fiction campaign on Indiegogo so we can make all nine episodes of the new serial, Jesus Pancake. See the link in the show notes and help if you can. Thanks so much.